Well, thank you guys so much for being here and making this a part of your Christmas tradition. I can say it. Merry Christmas. It just feels good to say it. I've been saying it for like a few, a few weeks now, and now you'll actually say it back to me, so I'm excited about that. Um, at the end of every year, my wife and I, Katie, we pray through a word that we kind of want to be the theme for the upcoming year. Some of you may do this with your family. If you don't, I really encourage you to, um, because it has been really neat to see how those words have kind of come true in our lives. And it's not like there's anything magical about it. We just spend some time and we really think about, as we're going into a new year, like what's the concept that we want to focus more on? And we even spend some time in prayer and we kind of, we say, God, if, if there's a specific word or topic, just kind of keep highlighting it for us. Like keep smacking us in the head with a certain verse or whatever. And last year that happened and it freaked us out a little bit. Um, because it came true and in a different way than we thought it would. So the word that we truly had at Thanksgiving of 2019, that for 2020, the word that God said was in our lives was going to be something new. That was the word. And it came true, and it freaked us out, so we're not even doing it again, because we're like, okay, that came way too true in our lives. I don't want to do that. Again, we thought at the, t- at the time it was going to be like new doors opening. We didn't know it was going to be like the new normal that we're in and all of these new bizarre circumstances that, that we've never been through before. And so we were actually a little hesitant to do it again this year, but we felt like, you know what, we've done it so many years in our marriage, we've got to do it again. So the word that we've come up with for 2021 is the word enjoy. Because I have found, for me personally, how hard it is to just enjoy each day and enjoy each hour, enjoy what God has already given me. I think it's really easy for me this year, especially this year, to focus so much on what I wish was different, on what I wish had changed, on wanting to go back to how things were, on wanting to see things open back up, that it makes it really easy for me to just skip over days and weeks and not really enjoy uh, time with friends, time with family, times like these. So my prayer is for tonight that this can be a reminder to enjoy Christmas Eve, to enjoy Christmas. And, and I really do pray um, that, that this uh, short amount of time that we have together um, can remind you of all the good things God is doing in your life, that there is a lot to celebrate. There's been a lot of hardships. It's been a hard year. But I think sometimes um, we, we even feel bad saying the good stuff that's happened in 2020 because of the narrative around us. But God has done a lot of good things too. And he's trying to do a lot of good things in our lives. And so my hope is that through this time together, um, we really can enjoy it. Um, because the fact is there's been a lot of stuff canceled, but Christmas is not canceled. Michael Scott in the office tried to cancel Christmas and it didn't go well. You can't cancel a holiday. Christmas isn't canceled. It's still going on and we are very excited about it. And as we are wrapping up the year, this is our final in-person service together. The 27th will be exclusively online. So this is our final service of the year. This is our final teaching in this Christmas series at the movies. We felt like there was no more appropriate movie to take a look at that matched the theme of what we wanted to talk about than the greatest Christmas movie of all time. We all know what it is, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. We've all seen this, right? It's free on Amazon Prime, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Who here has seen It's a Wonderful Life before? Many of us have. Who hasn't? Who hasn't seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, a few of us have. That's okay. It's only been out 80 years, so you just haven't had a chance yet. That's okay. Uh, anybody agree with me that it is the greatest Christmas movie? Like, it's the holy grail of Christmas movies. I watch it every Christmas Eve uh, with my wife, Katie. Usually, we, we don't even wait till then. We usually watch it on Thanksgiving to kind of kick off the Christmas season, and then we watch it again 
on Christmas Eve. We're going to do it once our services are over tonight. We love It's a Wonderful Life. Let me give you the premise for those of you that haven't seen it before. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life follows a guy named George Bailey, and this movie came out years and years ago. So some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It came out way before I think everybody in this room was born. It came out in like the 1930s. So uh, It's a Wonderful Life follows a guy named George Bailey, who is like a hometown hero. Like he's made a huge difference in the town that he lives in, Bedford Falls, and he hits a crisis when his business partner, his uncle, loses a huge amount of money. It was like $8,000, which in today's terms wouldn't sink a business, but if you added inflation to to $8,000 in the 1930s, today it'd be like over $100,000 that's been lost. And this crisis hits, and he's running all over town trying to figure out where the money went. They can't figure it out. And he realizes that if they can't find the money, like everything in his life is going to go to shambles. Like not only will he be uh, charged with fraud, but he'll be arrested, he'll be separated from his family, and the company, the building and loan that he and his father built from the ground up will be taken from them. And so he gets to a place that many of us have been before where you just feel like you're at a dead end, and he's at the end of his rope, and and he's asking for something to help him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch a scene that shows him in the desperation, in him asking for a wish from his guardian angel, Clarence. So watch this clip real quick, and then we'll come back to teaching. I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Yeah. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting that. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Look, little fella, go off and haunt somebody else. No, now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Well, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. So it's a wonderful life that follows the premise of what it would be like for George Bailey to have never existed. And he gets a glimpse uh, into the world where he is absent, where, where he never married his wife, he never has kids, and all of the influence and the impact he made was completely gone. And, and it's this fascinating picture because it gives us, you know, something that I think a lot of us want to know is how big of a difference are we really making in the world around us. Um, I've watched this movie probably 30 or 40 times. I watch it more than once every Christmas just because I love it so much. This year it actually took on a little bit different flavor for me when I saw it because something that I learned recently is that Bedford Falls, where the movie is, is set, is actually based on a real town in central New York. And I got a chance to go to that town this year when we were road tripping 
through. There's a little town called Seneca Falls, New York, that is the inspiration for Bedford Falls. And Frank Capra, who wrote It's a Wonderful Life, went there. He lived, he lived outside of New York City, and he went there and was so inspired by a story he saw there that it influenced him wanting to make this movie. And if you go to Seneca Falls, New York, there is an It's a Wonderful Life museum. They have an It's a Wonderful Life festival every December with an It's a Wonderful Life 5K which I don't even know what that means, but they have it. Uh, and in the, middle of the, in the middle of the town is the bridge that influenced the pinnacle scene in It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey um, is considering taking his own life, and right as he's about to do that, a guardian angel comes out of nowhere and jumps in the water first, and he ends up rescuing him, and, and it distracts him from taking his own life because he's now focused on saving another life. This bridge... Is the, is the place of a true story that took place. There's actually a plaque in the middle of the bridge that I took a picture of when I was there that highlights the story of a man over, like 100 years ago um, that, that saw somebody drowning in that river and he jumped in and saved them and he actually ended up drowning himself. And he has become a local hero in Seneca Falls that he was willing to sacrifice his life for a complete stranger. When Frank Capra went there and he saw that, it influenced him want to want to tell this story that we all know 80 years later. Isn't that cool? So you can go. It's only five hours away, so tomorrow if you hit the road early, you can have Christmas lunch in Seneca Falls, New York. But I, what I love about this movie um, is, is that idea. Like, what, what would the world be like if I wasn't here? Because the influence that our lives have are often way more extensive than we even realize. And as we were thinking about the final teaching of 2020, I think we said, um, what, what would life be like if Jesus had never come? If Jesus had never been born? Like if there was no Christmas? And I think the answer to that question is far more drastic than just, we wouldn't have presents, we wouldn't have Christmas tree, there'd be no Hallmark Channel and Candace Cameron movies. Like we know that those things would go away, but it's so much more than that. In the, in the Hebrews chapter 2 uh, in the New Testament, it, it gives us a picture of what is so significant about Christmas, about Jesus coming. And here's what it says. Verse 9, it says, What we see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. In other words, he came down from heaven to become a human being. God came down, Emmanuel, God with us. And because... He suffered death for us. He's now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. He tasted death for you. He took a bullet for you. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. But Jesus came for you, and he came for me. And Christmas is a reminder that you mattered enough to God that he came for you. That he saw one of his children struggling and in trouble, and he came in to bail him out. Just like when I was a teenager and my car broke down, and I'm in the rain, and I don't know what to do, and I call my dad. My dad comes down, picks me up, I get in the car, we figure it out together. He sees one of his kids in trouble, and he comes in, and he bails me out. That's what Christmas gets to celebrate for us. It celebrates an opportunity that we all have to be rescued out of our brokenness, out of our helplessness, out of our trouble, because if Jesus never came, 
And if Christmas never happened, there would be no rescue from sin. Like we'd still be dirty and have dirty, wretched lives full of brokenness and mistakes and selfishness. And so let's have some Christmas family time here for a moment. Um, There's two stockings up here. And uh, the life that God calls us to live, that God designed you to live, he specifically took time to design you. You are not by mistake. You're not by accident. You were designed by God in the image of God as his reflection, to reflect him to the world around you. And the life that God designed for you to live is a pure, holy, clean life. That's the life that God has for you to live. That's the life that God wants you to live, is a life that is clean and a life that is like Jesus. But instead, everybody in this room, myself included, has chosen a life full of mistakes, full of disobedience to God, full of selfishness towards our families, towards our siblings, towards the people around us. We've chosen a life that is dirty, and we, we, we've fallen short of the clean standard of what God has for us. And we all have. You don't have to teach a kid to live a life like that. Like our, our inerrant nature is to be sinful, right? Is to be selfish. Like how many of us as a kid punched one of our siblings because they took something from us and we were mad at them, right? We've all done that before. When I, was, when I was a kid, I may or may not have hit my brother in the head with a baseball bat because I was so mad at him. We do these things, right? How many times have you lied and said that you didn't do something, even though you did, because you didn't want to be punished and you tried to push the blame on your brother or sister? Like, we do that. That is inerrant in us. We don't have to teach ourselves to be selfish. We are all that way. We've all made mistakes. We've done things that weren't right. And so God created us to live a clean life. But every time we choose wrong, Every time we lie, every time we sin, every time we chase after what we want rather than what God would want, like we make our lives less like how God intended, less clean. And just like how when when you lie to your parents or, or when someone lies to you and a friend betrays you, you feel separated from them, you feel distant from them, that's how God feels when we disobey him, that there's separation that here's the life he wants us to live, but we've chosen something far worse, that that's totally different. And what we need is a way to get rid of the dirt. And we can't just throw it in a washing machine and sprinkle some Tide in there. Like the only thing that will clean the stocking is Jesus. Verse 11, it says, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy, he makes clean, he makes purified, he makes, he makes perfect, have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. That Jesus, he lived his whole life without getting any dirt on him. And because he overcame death, because he died and then he rose and he lived the perfect life, he can now take the, ter- the dirt off of our stocking too. Verse 14, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son, Jesus, also became a human, became flesh and blood, for only as a human could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That Jesus never sinned, He lived the perfect, clean life that God wants all of us to live. He never sinned, but he took on our sin. He took the dirt from our lives and he put it on himself. When he died and he rose again, his blood cleaned everyone who believes in him through the gift of grace. So in It's a Wonderful Life, 
George Bailey gets to a place that he feels trapped in his life, and he feels like there's no way out. He feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We've all been there before. We've all had times in our lives where we're like, I I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. So George Bailey, he's in huge trouble, and the very first scene of the movie is a conversation between God and the guardian angel, and God says, I realize one of my kids is in trouble, so I'm sending down the guardian angel to help them and to bail them out, to show them that there's another way. See, the beauty of Christmas is this. God recognizes that we're in trouble on our own, that we can't get out of a dirty life on our own. So what did he do? He sent down Jesus to be that rescue for us. We can be rescued out of it because Jesus came. That's what we celebrate. Verse 15, it says, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I think we, if we're all being honest, there's been times in our lives where we've felt like slaves to fear. This year, maybe more than ever, where we've felt like, uh, like there's some fear or anxiety that, that we just can't seem to, like we're just worrying over and over and it feels like we're a slave to it. Like we don't want to be worrying about it, but we do because there's so much in our lives that we don't know. There's so much in our lives that are completely uncertain. And, and what this is saying is we don't have to be afraid because a life with Jesus offers us peace because we don't have to do it alone. And of course, it's been a hard year. Of course, there's been a ton of worry. Of course, there's been a lot of fear and anxiety, but you don't have to do it alone. Even if things are unpredictable, you don't have to be afraid because God sent Jesus down to give you peace. And if Jesus didn't come, if Christmas never happened, there would be no freedom from our fear. But he did come. And when you truly plug into Jesus, not, don't just like show up, but if you truly plugged in to the kind of relationship that God designed for you to live, it changed everything. Because you could get to a place that even the deepest fears in your heart, you could lift up to God through prayer, and you can still feel peace, even though, even though it might not be resolved, because you know that it's no longer something you have to figure out but you've asked God to help you with it. There was a stat that came out a few weeks ago that is fascinating because this was put out by uh, a very large group of, of scientists and researchers and doctors, a huge study on mental health. And they're saying that the amount of people, the percentage of people that are struggling with mental illness is higher than it's ever been. Some estimates say uh, 40 to 50% of adults um, right now, this year, have struggled with severe anxiety or, or depression or suicidal thoughts or some type of trauma that has, has caused them to emotionally and mentally just be ill and sick and struggling. And many of us in this room, like this has been a struggle for that this year. And here's what they found. They did a research of all the different groups. And what they found was this. Democrats got mentally unhealthier this year. Republicans got mentally unhealthier this year. Men got mentally unhealthier this year. Women got mentally unhealthier. Older people, mentally unhealthier this year. Children, mentally unhealthier. Everybody except for one group. There was one group that actually became mentally healthier this year. And this was a secular study. And what they discovered was this. The one group that actually is mentally healthier now than they were a year ago were those who attended church regularly. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not. Because the Bible told us that this would happen. 
says, for those of you that truly put your faith in Jesus, even during a crisis, you can keep growing. In fact, you can become stronger, not just stay neutral. This is saying that those of you that committed to continuing to follow Jesus and didn't fall away, didn't allow the trial to cause you to scale back, actually you grew healthier this year because your dependency wasn't on what's happening down here. It's on what God's already done up there and what God's doing in your life. Which, side note, that alone, to me, is enough reason why I'm going to make one of my top New Year's resolutions to stay plugged into God. Because if you want to be mentally healthier, the number one thing you can do, the study shows it, the number one thing you can do is stay plugged in. The Bible told us that. We know freedom from fear if Jesus never came. Verse 16, it says, We also know that the Son, Jesus, he did not come to help angels. He came to help us, the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and his sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. I'm going to come back to that before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, that Jesus lived the clean human life in place of our dirty, broken life. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. That if Jesus never came and if Christmas never happened, there would be no access to God. Because Jesus is our high priest. And a high priest is, is, is the one that bridges a gap between God in us. And because Jesus came, he serves as the bridge between us and God. We don't need another person to connect with God because Jesus is that for anybody who wants to follow him. So before that, the, in the old covenant in the Jewish Bible, the covenant under which they lived, they actually were dependent on, an, on, a, on a physical person, a high priest anointed and appointed by God to represent his people. So we all know the song Jingle Bells, right? We all know that song. Um, it was actually influenced by a Jewish poem that was written in the Jewish tradition as a worship song. Now, obviously, that's not the case now. Gwen Stefani has stolen it and is using it for her own gain. But the roots of Jingle Bells is actually rooted in Jewish tradition because in the Jewish culture, a bell represents so much more than just an instrument. Here's why. Because before Jesus came to serve as our high priest and gave us direct access to God, before that, this was how you were made right with God. At certain times throughout the year, there was a high priest who would wear a special garment, wear a special robe. If you want to read more about this, you can turn Leviticus and Deuteronomy, spend a lot of time specifically talking about the covenant under which they had to follow. So the high priest would go into a room, a sacred room in the middle of the temple, and he was the only one allowed in there. Does anybody know what it was called? It was called the Holy of... Anybody know? holies, the holy of holies, that only the high priest was allowed in. He was the only one that was allowed to pass through the curtain. And he had this robe on, and he had two things on his feet. He, on one leg, he had a rope, and on the other leg, he had bells. And here's why. Because he would come to offer a sacrifice on behalf of all of God's people. And one of two responses were going to happen there. Either God would accept the sacrifice, or he would deny the sacrifice. And he would deny it if he knew that it wasn't a true repentance, a true confession, that the people are hoping to be forgiven, but it's not an authentic apology. It's like if your kids apologize to you, and you know they're just saying that to move on and not get punished for it, right? It's not a true apology where they really are trying to turn from their mistake and not do it again. So sometimes God would see through that and know that it wasn't true repentance. It wasn't true confession. 
In which case, they would hear a sound from outside the curtain. They would hear a thump. And that would be the high priest being struck and dead by God. That if God did not accept their sacrifice, the priest was killed on the spot. The reason why there was a robe on one of his legs is that's the only way the attendants could pull him out of the Holy Holies because they weren't allowed in there. But if God accepted their sacrifice and he'd forgiven all of the people for their sins, then what the priest would do to let the people outside the curtain know who are anxiously waiting is he'd shake his leg and the jingle bells outside the curtain would let the people know God has forgiven us. We're made right with God. So when we hear that, when the Jews would hear that sound, what they knew is they're made right with God. Now here's the beauty. We live under a new covenant, the perfect covenant with God, where everybody can experience jingle bells in your heart every single day because the sacrifice has already been offered. God has already accepted it. All you have to do is ask God to forgive you and to acknowledge that sacrifice for your dirt. And that's why this is such a beautiful passage because Jesus came, we have direct access to God. We have an invitation to God's table. Like you're invited to Christmas dinner every year and there is a, there's a seat with you with your nameplate on it and the only thing holding you back from being a part of God's family is you haven't sat down yet and you haven't fully asked God to forgive you for the disobedience in your life. But we can have direct access because Jesus is now our high priest. And when you say yes to Jesus... It's, it's like this. It's like he's exchanging your dirty stocking for a clean one that can't get dirty anymore because that clean stocking is Jesus' perfect life and it's set on top of yours. And that's what Jesus chooses to acknowledge when you say, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't clean myself. Jesus, you've got to cleanse me of my sin. And just like George Bailey, I think there's a lot of us that are kind of there where we're like, I just, I can't do this anymore. And I, I need someone to come in and help me. And what Jesus is saying is I'm here and I've already, laid, I've already laid down my life and all I'm asking, all I'm asking is for you to say yes to me. You to invite me into your life. You to sit down and take the seat at the table. Because when you say yes to following Jesus, God chooses to look past the dirt in your life and instead see the clean life that Jesus lived on your behalf. I want to show one more clip from It's a Wonderful Life and then we'll close out and this is a clip that gives George a snapshot of how the world looked drastically different because he didn't exist and the number of lives who were impacted just by his one life. Let's watch it together. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Your life touches more people than you realize. And you have a bigger impact than you realize. And 
when you say yes to Jesus, it's like you're saying yes to the wonderful life that God designed for you. And anything you dream up on your own will fall short of the life that God's designed for you. A life apart from God will never match a life aligned with God. That's why Christmas is so special for us. You know, for most of the world, it's a time to exchange presents, to watch some movies, to eat a bunch of food. But for those who have chosen to follow Jesus, we know it's something so much more. It's so much more meaningful. It, it is our reminder of what Jesus did. See, we're glad that Jesus was born. Because if he never came, we wouldn't have the gift of rescue. We wouldn't have freedom from fear. We wouldn't have direct access to God. One of the things I love about 2020 is this. The number of people in our church family that said yes to following Jesus this year. And this is the first Christmas that they can truly say they're a part of God's family. And last year they were here, but they were kind of watching from the outside and not sure how they felt. But this was the year in the midst of the pandemic that they finally said, I want to follow you, Jesus, because I can't do it on my own anymore. So you have the opportunity to be rescued from your sin. And I think for some of us, we just need to be honest with ourselves. And we know where we're sitting. And we know if we died today, that we wouldn't be spending eternity with Jesus because we haven't been made right with him, because we haven't asked for Jesus to forgive us. And if that's you, all I want to do is pray for you. And give you a prayer that you can pray in your heart from your seat to say yes to Jesus and to begin that relationship. This is a prayer that many of us in this room have prayed before, and we remember that exact moment. We get excited at moments like this because we remember what it was like for us when we said yes to Jesus, how it changed everything, and it was exciting. And we didn't fully know what it meant, but we knew that this was something, this, this changed everything. It changed the way we view the world around us. So I just want to pause with you and pray, and then we'll close together. Let's pray. God, first of all, I just want to thank you for those in this room who have turned from their sin, from their, their disobedience to you, said yes to follow you. God, I want to celebrate with you because I know their eternity is forever changed. God, if there's anybody in this room that has never fully gone all in and they know now is the time, they want to exchange their dirty stocking for Jesus' clean life. God, I just pray right now where they are that they pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short. God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking for you to clean up my life. I'm asking for you to come and help me because I can't do it on my own. I want to start a new life with you. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.